Episode 37 of My Therapy with Justin Dickey is brought to you by Nick's Journey. Go to nicksjourney.ca to find out more. All right, welcome to the latest episode of uh, My Therapy with Justin Dickey. Uh, Luke and I are here today with Nick and Susie Spellick. Is that how you pronounce your name? Yes. Yeah. I didn't want to... <laughs> Maybe we Good should start. ask that off air instead, Good start. <laughs> instead of on. Great start. Well, I've never met you in person, and uh, we've, been, we've been exchanging for a while now on, on Twitter, but uh, really excited to have you guys here. Um, so thank you. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you, Justin. It's great to finally meet you. So. Well, I, I, I want to start off for a second. You we, do it. We've, so this is my seventh episode. And three, the last two episodes and three of the last four, we were talking to hockey players. So I guess my first question for you, Nick, is uh, why didn't you make it to the NHL? Um, I don't really know about that. Like, I should definitely be in the NHL right now as the goalie, probably for the Minnesota Wild. They're yeah. with Devin Dubnik, but I don't know. They just didn't pick me in. It's okay. <laughs> Devin Dubnik, former Hamilton Bulldog. Did That's you know true. that? He was? Yeah. Oh. So when I worked for the Bulldogs... A couple of years ago, uh, he was with us from the trade deadline to the end of the season. Nice. Yeah, so he was with Edmonton. Yep. They traded in Nashville. Uh, Nashville put on waivers. They traded in Montreal at the deadline, spent the rest of the season with us. And then he signed in Arizona the next season, played unbelievably, went to Minnesota, and he's been there ever since. He was nice. uh, He's a really nice guy, too. He's very big. Phenomenal. <laughs> six, oh, six. For a guy that uh, had been through the ringer that season, he... Uh, he showed up and with a smile on his face, happy to be there. First thing he said was, "I'm just happy that somebody wants me." And it was uh, a very interesting thing for I was just to like, guy here, say. "This guy's been in the NHL for like five, six years at that point," and I was just like, "I wasn't expecting that." Most guys don't want to be here. But hey, you know, if his play falls off a cliff, maybe the Wild will give you a call. So yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> maybe. I don't really want to replace him though. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. I think he probably likes having a job and getting all that money. Yeah. So anyway, that joke aside, <laughs> which I've been planning for a week or so. He did mention that. Day, yeah. <laughs> Set that up. Uh, go ahead, Justin. Yeah, I was just uh, going to introduce you guys. I uh, I guess I first learned of you on another podcast, actually. It was Giving Voice to Depression. Um, and then I looked you up, and I and come and find out you're in Hamilton. I was like, wow, that, that that's an American podcast. And it was just kind of odd that... We were so close together, and uh, I want. It's kind of from that point I wanted to get in touch with you. So, um, I guess first of all, uh, Nick's journey. Tell us about that. It is um, about giving voice to mental illness with younger kids, like not necessarily teenagers, but um, around like nine, I guess. I think it's for all kids. It, there's, sorry, there's a lot of um, focus put on adolescents and teens. And with Nick's experience, his journey with mental illness uh, due to trauma especially started when he was six. So we struggled quite a bit to find resources and support so that's where we wanted to focus that because we've done a lot of work to try to bring more awareness to it. And Justin, that 
uh, podcast that you had said that was Nick's first time speaking out, and that that came from a tweet of mine that just said something about raising a child with depression, how it's hard to see your child suffer at such a young age, and they reached out to us. Nick, you said you would speak out. Yeah, I was kind of hesitant at first, but then I'm like, let's do this. Like, what's the worst can, that can happen? And it jump-started Nick's journey, and we are, we're here today. So I'm glad that we had that op- opportunity to do that and what it's become right now. And hopefully in the future it will get even bigger. That wasn't very long ago, was it? It was, just it was in when? March, I think. Yeah, yeah. people have been asking myself for a few years to do stuff um, within the mental health community for children, again, because of our experience. And I'm a natural researcher, and I don't give up. I think I know Board of Education Acts inside and out, uh, you know, human rights, et cetera. But it was his story. And I wasn't going to speak out about his story. And then, like he said, after he did that podcast, uh, Terry from Giving Voice to Depression was, like, amazing, supportive of him. And he said, let's start this. So we officially, uh, we submitted our application to the government, got approved the same afternoon in April. Approved as a not-for-profit corporation? Yes, as a not-for-profit. We are currently looking at the possibility of being a charity, um, but we wanted to start just as the not-for-profit. It was more about giving to other people. So uh, what's the difference between uh, not-for-profit? And the charity? only difference is we cannot give receipts okay. for uh-huh. donations as a not-for-profit. And as we've grown and we've partnered um, with some companies, some unions already, there is more interest in us. And we understand my background's accounting and finance, so I understand that. So... We're just trying to decide whether or not that's something we need to do or not. Okay, interesting. So, Nick, you came out and told your story for the first time just in March? Yes. And <clears throat> you went from that in March to a not-for-profit in your name? Yeah. What does that feel like? It feels pretty good. Um, we actually we had to change the name of it, and then I was kind of hesitant about that because... We had one child's journey, but there was another not-for-profit in America or something under, like, a child's journey or whatever. So we changed it to Next Journey. I was kind of worried about that because, I don't know, I didn't really want my name on the... I don't know why I was worried, but I'm glad that, like, it's now my... Like, it would be mine, but it's now mine... Like, not, it could be, I don't know. Yeah. I, I think, too, the like Nick said, the original name that we wanted to choose was One Child's Journey. Because I look back at that now, and I honestly think part of that was stigma. We were uh, afraid, like his dad and I, of um, putting his name to something for his future of, you know, when he goes to university or college or get a job. And we just looked at each other after, you know, everything happens for a reason. And they said, no, there's another company. Pick another name. And like he said, he, we thought long and hard about it. And his dad and I said, um, we are wanting to start this to fight stigma. And we're caving into everything that we don't agree with. But again, it was his decision because it's 
his name, his story. And we're so proud of him, obviously, but we feel that having it as Nick's journey, it's more validity behind it. There's a face. It's a person's story. And that's what this is about. This isn't about money. It's not about a corporation. It's about sharing a story, giving back, helping other kids to realize they're not alone, and families, too, because it's a really, really hard journey. So what are the pieces to Nick's journey? What does what does the not-for-profit do and what does it involve? Because I know that what I've seen a lot of is a lot of writing and a lot of blogging and telling stories. I know that I did one myself. Um, so I'm just wondering, there's that piece of it, but what other pieces are there to it? So right now we're working on um, a toy donation for Christmas, toy and maybe coats, I can't remember, for Christmas for underprivileged kids in that too so we have some plushies and toys in that um we are also working on getting um tackling mental illness for 2019 uh to make it an annual thing pretty much um uh what else is there? yeah we these are initiatives that we're working on right now uh, you did a great job there. Um, I, I think as a, a bigger picture thing, Justin, about when we started this, we had lots of ideals. And, and as many people know that start and our mental health advocates, you want to change the world. And um, I was told actually by a lady I spoke to with Kids Help Phone. And she said, in the next six months, you're going to really be able to uh, decipher and and come down to what your main goal is. So our first thing where we started and our very first partnership that we had was with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. So we wanted to partner with local sports teams um, because Nick's very much into sports. We know the importance of sports for kids, especially mental health-wise. And they partnered with us and then uh, asked us to be on the donation program. We wanted to get tickets for games for kids uh, and families. We know it's such a rough road that if you can have one experience of just fun together without a financial worry or whatever, that's what we were originally about. Um, since then, we've, uh, we've continued to partner. Um, we're working on some more partnerships next year for some other sports teams. Uh, the Bulldogs have already given us tickets for our first tackling mental illness event. So there's that side, which we want to continue to do, connect with people. There's also a bigger picture side that we have um, about changing things within the system. And a big focus we have right now is changing it within schools because that's where Nick's trauma was. And in speaking with the educators and that that we know, they want to be educated. They want to help kids and so I personally have been doing all the writing so far. I had to really learn to give up a bit of control. Am I a control freak? Um, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, you, you paused there. No matter what you said, the answer was going to be yes. Yeah, so. I already knew the answer. So I'm working on bigger stuff like that right now. For example, um, we a grant was just rolled out at the Canadian Mental Health Association conference in uh, Montreal a few weeks ago, and we're working on right now a program to start in the early years, probably grade one, of uh, self-empowerment. And there's a lot of stuff out there about anti-bullying and that, which is absolutely important. 
but we found that there's less focus put on the child and who they are and accepting themselves and more about accepting other people, which is important. But if they don't accept themselves, they can't accept other people. So that's where we feel a big change is coming um, and people want it. So that's, I hope that answers your question. Mm -hmm. Uh, I want to myself work more on the bigger picture stuff like that. So now we've brought on some volunteers and people to help with, um, you know, the, the partnerships of community partnerships. Now, you said that the first partnership you had was the Thai Cats. That's yeah. that's a pretty big one uh, to start with. How did that, that come about? Because, I mean, like you said, you guys just started this right. earlier this year. I actually um, I was familiar with the program they have. And if I say this the wrong way, it's Hearts in the Huddle or Huddle Hearts. I really apologize. They go like and they, yeah, they go to McMaster Sick Kids Hospital. And Nick was part of the McMaster Mental Health Child Mental Health Program. So we were familiar with that, and I just probably went into LinkedIn or something and found somebody's name who I thought might <laughs> be a good person to connect with. And I sent an email and a phone call, and um, we heard back right away. We just had a little letter. We're just starting. We want to offer kids. They said, absolutely, we'll give you some tickets. Uh, Travis Lance, I believe. He had sent us tickets for the first game, and I said, could we buy three tickets for our family to join them? And he said, no, and he gave us three tickets <laughs> as well, which was amazing. And then we got a phone call from Samantha Brewer, um, Sam, not that long after, asking us if we wanted to be a part of their donation program, that we were selected, and that's just been amazing. So it's just... I'm not afraid to talk to people. I put myself out there, and it's just a matter of letting people know what's happening and then, you know, letting them hear Nick's story. No, oh, you've done a great job of making things visible. Um, when I started to uh, get involved in the conversation on Twitter, uh, I saw you everywhere. And uh, that, you know, so you do a good job of that. Thank you. Um, I wanted to ask uh, Nick about, uh, or I guess both of you, uh, about Nick's story. But before we get to that, I wanted to clarify a couple of things. Uh, one, I, I kind of cackled out loud there a minute ago. Uh, Nick could just dabs because you can't see that on the on the podcast. Yeah, it's it was, an audio medium, but yeah, it was, yeah, uh, I don't know why I dab. No, you know what? <laughs> it was fine. It was funny. Dead. I said I'm trying to bring it back, <laughs> and it. I'm joking w with that, but. I just automatically dickly dab now, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can appreciate your enthusiasm. I just, I, I like it. Uh, a little bit of character there. And uh, what was the other thing? Uh, oh, d using Nick's journey as the name instead of uh, one child's journey. Uh, I like that. It adds a, uh, I feel like it, it adds, a, it puts a face to it and makes it a lot more real and authentic and it, it, it'll resonate more it quickly, it. it person. That's that's what I was looking. That's the word I was looking for. It personalizes mm -hmm. the whole thing, and I think that it, it's all it's more powerful that way. So I'm I'm kind of glad it turned out that way, and uh, I am definitely too. Yeah, uh, I mean, it takes a lot of. I think. I mean, I was going to say it takes a lot of strength and courage to put your name to something like that. But as Michael Landsberg says. That's part of the stigma that we we think that that if it if we think it takes courage and strength, it shouldn't take courage and strength. So, I guess uh, we have some way to go on that. 
Uh, speaking of courage and strength, Nick, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about uh, your story and how we got to this point. Uh, Susie, you had mentioned they started to show signs of mental illness at age six. I'm wondering if you could kind of tell us a little bit about that. Definitely. Um, so when I was six, so um, whatever the year was, I was in a Catholic school. Um, and we had this mean principal. I the first time we met her was, um, I thought she gave me a dirty look, and I'm like, that's weird. And then I was like, a happy kid, like, like just everything was fine to me. And then it, when she became the full time principal, it was hard. She like secluded me she picked on me she like if something happened on the playground like say three months ago she would bring it up and she would make me draw in a book what I did wrong and write how I'm gonna do it better next time and she always would say what would Jesus do what would Jesus do kept using that phrase it was hard it happened for two years happened for two years <clears throat> it was like until one time it was a pain um parent teacher interview and um my mom and dad were in the hall I mean in the room and I was in the hall and she walked by and I can't really remember what I was doing what was I doing mom yeah so he was in grade three and we knew there were issues um because he was regressing in certain areas, um, not sleeping, having night terrors, like screaming out in the night, not being able to sleep. And we had some, alt I don't want to say altercations, but we had some meetings and stuff with the superintendent and that. And um, so anyways, that night of the the t parent-teacher interview, he was in the hallway and she walked by and he went into a fetal position and just started rocking back and forth. And he said, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. And his dad, Mark, and I were like, what the heck is going on? And he got in the car with us afterwards, and he said, I want to tell you, but I'm afraid she's going to be mean to me and hurt me. And uh, so he started telling us a little bit about it. Like he would be taken into the principal's office and have to sit there all day sometime, not given his lunch. Um, we He had anxiety, and it was never accepted. We were constantly told about this so-called anxiety disorder and uh, they were supposed to call his pediatrician, et cetera. Nothing was ever done. So um, when it came, obviously, to a head at the Christmas in, in grade three, um, he was on the playground. And, and Sorry. Sorry. I got – I was going to get suspended because it was total not fair. And um, so there was this kid – bugging one of my friends and I'm like just come on and I went like that and moved my arm so you can't see me and I moved <laughs> my arm and I kind of like like pushed him back and apparently he fell and was crying so I got in trouble for that and I s said I wasn't doing anything so I kicked sludge at the wall and apparently it hit the teacher and I got suspend I was going to get suspended for that it wasn't fair it like I really don't know why 
just picking on me and that. So um, my mom decided to pull me out. I was begging her for months not to pull me out. Like, I can't lose my friends in this, but I really agree with my mom did, and I'm glad she did it. So that ended at that school. So then I went to another school in grade three, and <clears throat> it seemed like it was the best thing ever. Sorry, it seemed like it was the best thing ever. And uh, when did it start happening with bullying? Yeah, so that was his experience before and we always want to be clear which we've put on this stuff on our um website and that it's not a catholic thing it's not all principles thing it was mm -hmm. absolutely an issue in this situation we did have a human rights case against it but um he would have had to testify and and see the person and we hit the point after a year that we said he just needs to move forward so so the school did nothing nothing outside of that nothing i, just, I, I can't fathom like in my own school experience, the principal was, I mean, he was someone that you were scared of, but he, you were scared of him because he was the ultimate authority figure, not because he was ever doing anything. It was actually a girl. Yeah. And sorry. I understand. I understand the confusion there. But like we, the principal never was around on a day to day basis in my, well, never like in the kid's face in day-to-day -day basis. I can't imagine that having a principal that was, was doing that, that there wasn't more people noticing. Yeah. It, it was really a hard situation because Nicholas really respects authority. Sure. And, and he looked at the principal like she runs the school. She's like, I have to respect her in his mind within her role. And we had worked with the Board of Education and the superintendent, and there was um, a relationship with her and the director of education. And and I'm not – the director of education is super nice. We don't – you know, we just think that that added a different element of difficulty to deal with it. But we had it set up that she was his safe person because we didn't know everything that was going on. So we would send him to her if he was being bugged. Go to her. Go to her. And we just didn't realize. It was very sad. Um, there were a lot of issues in that school with other kids. And it was just a control thing on her part, which was unfortunate because she could have done a lot of good. But um, Nick was already a sensitive kid. He didn't understand how people were mean to each other. He's an only child. And he was always raised with nothing but love and respect. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, it, it's interesting, though, Luke, when you say that because – when we tell our story, the first initial reaction is, really? Like, people normally think it's kid to kid, child to child, the trauma, the bullying. But more stories come out. And, and again, that's what we're trying to focus on with Nick's journey is age is irrelevant. You have to treat people right. You have to listen to them, whether they're 4 or 5 or 17 or 25. And we're trying to give kids that opportunity. It has to be respectful. But, you know... He was afraid. He he was confused because we're pushing him to go. And my husband and I, Mark and I, are very much about accountability. So anytime there was an incident, we would go to him first. What was your part in it? Because he can't, you can't control other people's behaviors. You're only in charge of your own. But we did that too much. And I think that that sent the wrong message to the principal of um, supporting her 
in her mission. I think, honestly, it was more a personal thing against me. Uh, but it just really, at eight years old, I'm going to maybe cry. That's perfectly okay. At eight years old, he had a, he went in our kitchen and he had a knife and he put it to his chest and he said, I don't want to live anymore. I want to cut this pain out. I can't do it. I just don't want the pain anymore. And I knew without a doubt, this is a child that's never had suicide in his life or, you know, there's mental illness as there is in every family, but it wasn't a big uh, known thing per se that he was used to. So where would he come up with this? Like this was some behavior that he learned somewhere. Exactly, exactly. Where would you see that? Like he didn't watch shows like that. Mm -hmm. So I knew it was serious and my husband knew it was serious. So we took him to McMaster Sick Kids right away. And uh, that's when he started. It took him... I bet you a year and a half to two years to tell his whole story about what everything that happened to him. To you, you mean? To us, even, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was, he still had that fear. It's, you know, they talk a lot about trauma um, and when a child's abused and people know about when they're physically abused by a family member or parent or sexually abused or there's war, etc. But they don't realize that the bullying is psychological and verbal abuse. And he was scared. Even though he was out of that situation, he was scared because he had it in his head by his abuser for so long to not say anything because he would say something to us. I would communicate with her, like, what's this about? And he'd get punished the next day and be told, like, you're going to tell your mom, you're going to be punished. She also said that my parents told her to do that, that my mom said that I should be punished in that. So he, <clears throat> we have such a close relationship, but he had a, he struggled with that because he's like, my mom loves me so much. How could she say that? So she, yeah, she would tell him that your mom's telling me to do this. She doesn't want you to grow up to be a punk and think you're all cool if you make a mistake now in grade two, it's going to be on your record for the rest of your life and you'll never get into university and you think you're tough and cool and you're going to be nothing. And that's surreal in my mind for any age, but especially, mm. you know, that those years are so formative and the brain develops so much from five to seven and it's a really huge part of self-esteem growth in those years and I mean that's from the research and the people that I've worked with scientifically so he got those messages through those years that he was nothing and he was no good and he was not good of who he, as who he is I just uh, the the thing too that that's sticking with me is that you said that the principal would say would would use the phrase uh, what would Jesus do over and over again and that I you went, went to a Catholic, you went to a uh, so I went to a private Christian school yeah. growing up and I well they they never did that. I got in trouble a few times as as a young boy, and that was never something that was said. And to hear you say that, it's she's using it almost as just a a bat, a baseball bat, just to because how do you how do you respond to that? Well, that's a really good question. Actually, how he did respond to it. I think once, and then he learned, uh, was, I don't know. I didn't know Jesus. I don't know what he would do. And that was just disrespectful. 
you can't do that within the Catholic religion. Again, that's that was her choice to do that. But we were not big religious people. We're more spiritual people. Mm-hmm. But he lost all faith. He hated God. He hated, he said, why is God punish me for probably about two years? And that was honestly so heartbreaking because he lost his faith in something that he was taught at home was a good thing. And now all of a sudden it's a bad thing. Well, well that's it. Because like if, if somebody had said that to me at that age, it's you see the authority figure and the the authority figure is is saying something to the effect of i'm doing this because you're not acting the way jesus told you to it 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 implies that that the the uh, the religious authority figure jesus god whatever it is is then telling you you're wrong and acting through this person and then how are you supposed to go against that authority person in the first place if that's something that matters deeply to you and that it just it really it bugs yeah. me so much that that somebody in that in that place of power would use that as a weapon because that's so not fair, especially to kids at that age. Uh, and I 100% agree, right? Like there's so many religions, so many faiths, and it's what you believe in, and 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 that's okay, right? Obviously, with us, and um, yeah, it really honestly put a bad taste in in my mouth. I stopped, not that I went to church all the time per se, but I just lost all of my faith in that because. Again, we're not big religious people. We are spiritual. We have our beliefs. But we feel, we would say to him, like he'd say, what would Jesus do? And we're like, Jesus accepts people for who they are. Like this is a person who is condemned for being something different that what people thought was different and stood up. And again, I'm not trying to make this about a religious lesson because I'm probably going to be wrong on everything. But that's our thoughts. And that's the way we raised Nick was just to be respectful. And that was an absolute... I'm going to say disgusting use of religion. And that's why there's so many people in the world, I feel, that have these negative things about different religions. Yeah, yeah. it's it, they're, they're, And it was heartbreaking, honestly. Like it really, it just broke my heart. Yeah. At the end of the day, the Catholic school, and, and like I said, I grew up in a, in a private Christian school, so religion was even more a part of the school. But it, the religious aspect should never be used in, in that manner. It's... No. If if you're going to a religious school, or you're going to a Catholic school, or you're going to a Jewish school, or whatever it is, it's it's you're not going there, and you're not being pu- you're not being punished by whatever the absolutely whatever the religion is. You're being punished by people because you did something wrong, and to to bring the religion into it like that right. is especially if you're if you're a kid at the age that Nick was, you're not fully formed enough in your realizations of how this kind of thing works to understand that there is a difference between the authority figure and between the religion. And if that's something that matters deeply to the kid, probably from the parents and from the upbringing, it just, it can damage it beyond Mm -hmm. repair. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It can damage the kid beyond repair. Right. And I agree. Like our thinking was, okay, because you're in a Catholic school, we understand where the religion part comes Mm -hmm. in. But the way we would have dealt with it and the way we tried to talk about it at home was don't ask him, use a story about Jesus of how he maybe made mistakes or whatever, but overcame stuff. Don't ask him to talk about something like that's like me asking him a 
a physics question in kindergarten. Like, how do you figure that out? How does he know? He doesn't know mm-hmm. that. I probably still don't know that. <laughs> well, I don't know it <laughs> either. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was hard. It's really hard when you see your child suffering so much and wanting to die and and looking physically looking with his fists up in the air at like nine years old going, God, why do you hate me? Mm-hmm. And that's that's so heartbreaking because it's not yeah. about religion mm-hmm. or anybody else. This was a specific thing to this one person and and she made it not about herself and that was really hard for us to understand. Yeah. The thing I find troubling all in all of this is um, the lack of understanding on the part of the principal and anybody else involved in this. I made it drop the ball. That is how was he six at the time? Yes, it started when he was six. And six to eight, basically. Yes, that somebody at that age is so impressionable and so. I know that when I was six to eight, that like I like. I obeyed authority in every way, shape, and form. And if authority was going to come down on me in an inappropriate way, I wouldn't have seen it as inappropriate. I would have put it on myself. Right. And that's I think that that's how a mental health condition can be formed when your your brain's it's a very like you said it's a very crucial development stage. And when you're when you're taking that kind of uh, abuse in, in a in a uh, psychological way, it's it's it can be irreparably damaging, and that's I find that that, that there's not an understanding of that uh, by by the principal by anyone else involved at that level is uh, I think that's a complete completely neglectful on the part of the uh, school board and mm-hmm. and uh, anyone involved in that, and I think that there needs to be this needs to be in general. It sounds like there needs to be a better understanding of what your actions, what kind of impact they can have on a child. Yes. And it's interesting that you say that. I 100% agree with you, Justin. And I think as a as a whole, when you see it right across, even in, honestly, in the medical community, we fought for five years to get the pr- diagnosis after, like, lots of treatment and, you know, CBT, DBT, EFFT, every acronym for treatment you can you can imagine. And they were helpful in their way at their time, for sure. But it took us until a couple months ago to get him the proper diagnosis of PTSD. And we knew, his dad and I, like, I researched the heck out of it. I was in a bad car accident and went through it myself. I knew what it was because every time he would have something after that, it went back to this trauma. It was all about reliving the trauma. And they don't recognize that in children. Um, trauma treatment for for young kids, specific trauma treatment is hard to find a qualified person for different reasons. Um and they think their brains, they realize that their brains are developing and changing. So, oh, maybe they'll grow out of that. But they don't realize the damage it does. Like if you look at a brain scan, and I'm sorry, this is my passion here, so I might get a little bit more passionate about it. When you look at a brain scan of somebody that's gone through trauma, which again, what he has gone through is 100% trauma, it changes your brain. Like it's a physical brain condition. And you know, there's many factors that come into mental illness, obviously, but when you're traumatized at this age, for a year, he told us basically nothing, and he would be getting in trouble from us because we're be- told that he's misbehaving. 
He's so a big, he's getting it from both directions. I, exactly. So he, yeah, he's just completely crushing it. So he's like, of yeah. course I'm broken. Look at They're telling mm-hmm. me at school yeah. I'm wrong. Now my mom and dad are saying, well, that's inappropriate. I must be wrong. And, I mean, even before that, he's a big boy, right? You can see that. You guys can't. <laughs> we can see it in the studio. He's proud of it. Yeah, he's 5'10". He's a big boy. He's 13. 5'9 and a half. Sorry. You'll get there. He had <laughs> he had struggles when he was in kindergarten because he was bigger than the other kids. And he got messages then. You can't jump as high. You can't run as fast. You can't spread your arms out to put your coat. You're going to hurt other kids. So he was already feeling. He hated being big when he was little. Now he loves it. But... It's It builds and builds and builds. And yes, there's giving the positive of the self-talk. But again, it changes your brain that you literally cannot do anything about it if you don't understand it. Well, I, you bring up the point about the, the brain scan and, and you can see the physical difference. And that's a, that's a great point to bring up that we don't really talk about when we talk about mental illness, that there is a – there's a uh, – physical uh, manifestation of that like when i was in the hospital the first time like the doctor showed us the brain scan he's like you see this part right here like this part in a in a healthy brain is is looks different and like you don't have that so we need to work on that and then that's what like cbt is for and all that mm-hmm. um that you and that the actual like process of changing the way you think has a physical manifestation in your brain mm-hmm yeah. Where I do like a lot of stuff, you know, through social media and, and that, and I've hooked up with a number of people actually, like in the UK, they're yeah. further ahead than we are in so many areas. And they actually have doing like a PET scan or an MRI of the brain to show exactly what parts of the brain need to be rewired, uh, um, you know, the therapies to help change it. And then they also scan as they're going through these therapies and medication to make sure they're hitting the right areas. So my big thing is I took this to our doctors at at Mac and said, why don't we do this here? It's cost, it's a whole bunch of things. So when I was saying before about Nick's journey in the big picture, that's a big, big, big picture item for me because I think that that reduces stigma. I have type 1 diabetes. Nobody questions me. Nobody makes me feel bad for it. I actually get sympathy or empathy or whatever. Oh, you poor thing. Nobody asks you to prove it. Yeah, because why? Because uh, I take a needle and you can see that I have insulin. Like, what's the difference? And that's what we've been mm-hmm. trying to teach Nick. And I think he's finally realizing you have an illness. You don't want – nobody wants – do you want anxiety? Do you want depression? Do you want to hate yourself? No. Who wants that? Right? Mm-hmm. So – Sorry, I got a little passionate there. No, no it's no. good. <laughs> I want you to be passionate. It makes for good podcasting. Um, so from from eight, and you pulled pulled them out of that school, and kind of, I had a couple questions to that. Uh, you know, where do things go from there, and how did you kind of manage it? Did it get worse, and kind of what else? What else took place there? So, it went good for the first. Um, when did it really start at? The other school? Probably about, he started the new school. We pulled him right out of the board, uh, the Catholic board. We went to public board because it was right across the road, so it was mm-hmm. convenient as well. And we just wanted him to have a fresh start. And he's given the high fives to his friend Rachel here from no, his, from his old, that he met at the new school. So that was a good, good friendship. Um, and we put him in there in January, which is hard to go in in grade three in the middle of a year to a new school. And they had an amazing 
um, special education teacher in there. Yeah, Miss Turner. Why are you mentioning names? Never mind. So I because um, <laughs> I'm giving the kudos to the people shush. that have helped you. So, so it was really good. It seemed like it was the best thing in that for about oh no, when did it really start? Grade? About eight months, maybe eight months. Okay, eight. <clears throat> sorry, eight months in, and it started getting bad. It wasn't that bad at this. I can't really remember that point of it, but when it came to about grade six was when it got pretty bad. There was this one kid what just kept constantly on me. But I think actually before that happened, I had one of my best friends. He was probably my best friend at school. We would, like, I would go over to his house. We would play like I would play on his Xbox he would play on mine like we were good friends something happened at his house where he locked me out so and then he opened the door and then I locked his dad out and he his dad got really mad at him like he flipped out on my friend and my friend was like he said like Nick, did you do it? I said, no, I didn't. And because I was worried because his dad scared me. Um, and that the kid got mad. He, and then about a couple of days later at school, he would just be calling me fat and like, I bet I can beat you in a way some faster than you and all that. And it just started and he was just a little... Craphead, let's say craphead, um, and yeah, it was bad, and like it still hurt me. I was still really mad at him. Like I would want to punch him in the face. I didn't, but I wanted to, and so yeah. I think we all have those urges, and it you know it depends on your character whether you're going to follow through on it or not. So yeah, and <clears throat> so I was still mad at him, but like. We so my mom brought it up with his dad and like because at that point I was really worried. I kind of actually wanted him to be my friend again because I felt like I had no friends and that. But and but he also too. Sorry, I'll let you finish. But he also this boy brought other kids into it. So now it was let's hate Nicholas. Mm -hmm. Let's call him fat. Let's call him stupid. Let's make these challenges to him constantly every day and so my mom <laughs> and me. I told my his dad sorry and I was kind of hesitating like maybe it wasn't that bad in that because I kind of still wanted to be his friends and so his dad was like oh like like is it like that so they went home and my mom called him after and we put it on speakerphone and I said this kid has been bugging me um and um he's like no stop no he hasn't you're just lying Nick you're I don't want to ever see you near my house again you're not welcome near my house and it was on speakerphone and my mom yelled at him and then he hung up and so that ended that friendship. It was still, like, 
he, I could see him talking, like saying bad things about me, like like pointing and telling to his <laughs> friends, but he wouldn't say anything to his my face. And then so that like he kept doing that for so that kept going on. But then in grade six, there was this another another kid who just kept bugging me, like calling me fat, saying I'm trash at everything, and just relentless and just about everything. I can't even remember specific stuff. So that was bad. And then there's this another kid who came. It was his third day, and he punched me in the head on my birthday. And... um. I hit him back in the stomach, but I took his glasses off. I didn't want to hit him, um, and that. But then, he just kept bugging me, just like calling me names and like bad names and that. So once I just had enough of it, and I laid into him, two punches to the head, two punches to the stomach, and he was on the ground crying. So. Like, that felt good, but, like, I shouldn't have did it, but I didn't get in trouble for it, so, well, whatever. And so then there was this, um, there was this another girl. She just would, like, relentlessly <coughs> on me, like, bad, like, saying bad things about me and my mom and that, and, like, she didn't even know I had depression and suicidal things, and she's like, why don't you just go kill yourself? Um, uh, it was too late. Your mom wanted to abort you. You were not wanted. Nobody likes you, and that, and it was hard. Like, it was bad. So, that went on for how many months? Like, four, I guess, maybe? I don't know. And... Then one of my friends left the school because the kids were just jerks and that. So that's when I really, like, at this point, I was desperate for friends because she was, like, one of my really own uh, friends um, and that. And I was desperate before for friends, and some kids who I thought were my friends actually, like, they, I knew they were being mean to me. They even said it to my face before, but it's like, yeah, um, I wanted friends and that, so I don't know. And so then in grade six, my mom pulled me out and homeschooled me. In grade seven, I did online learning, but like at the start of grade seven, I tried, but I couldn't do it, so I did online learning. And in grade eight, they pulled me out of that school and put me in a new school, and it's the best decision I think they've made. Like this, like it gets hard at times, but I don't hate school now because of the kids. I hate school because it's school. <laughs> <laughs> me too. You did a great job. So yeah, go ahead. Um, so I just there was one thing you said, Nick, there that. The one there was one kid who was who was on you relentlessly, and it ended up with you uh, uh, punching him a few times, but you didn't mm -hmm. get in trouble for it. No. Is is that because the, the teachers didn't see it, or the teachers didn't get you in trouble because they knew what was going on? Um, Do you want me to tell? Uh, I, I think uh, the teacher when it happened, um, he was my teacher. I 
I don't really know if he's seen it. There was other kids there. They might have told me him. I thought they were, but I think he kind of saw it because after that, he's like, is everything okay, Nick? And I'm like, yeah. The kid wasn't on the ground, like, crying anymore. And I'm like, yeah, everything's fine. So I think maybe he kind of saw it and he knew what was going on because we told him. (laughs) And I guess. Yeah, there's a bigger picture to that for sure. So um, there were issues, not just with Nicholas. There were quite a few issues in that school. uh, And it seemed to be a lot with the same kids. (coughs) Excuse me, sorry. And we had been working with the school again to try to deal with the the bullying. I mean, that's what it was, right? And, you know, we would get, oh, that doesn't sound like that kid, or that kid doesn't do that, or are you sure? And, oh, those kids have bad lives, and their parents are in jail, and they have this and that. And, and that breaks our heart. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Sorry, I have a cold. So we would love every child to have a great home and stuff, but that's not our responsibility. And it went beyond Nick. Like there's a lot of things that just absolutely were not dealt with in that school. And so when this happened with this boy, this was not the first incident. Obviously he was really bad on Nicholas (coughs) and the school just unfortunately made excuses for him. And we don't condone hitting, fighting, even through that he got punishments at home. (coughs) We would call the school and so a few times I had to say, we'll take his recesses away, whether you think, you know, you understand why he did it, the behavior's still not appropriate, right? Like, we can justify things as much as we want, but... Yeah, even if it was justified, I feel like you can't, like, a lack of punishment would, exactly. in, would indicate to a child of that age that that's okay. Exactly, and yeah. then you're right, Justin, because then what happens is it's the cycle, right? The cycle never breaks, so then this child thinks it's okay, et cetera, et cetera. And... Um, we told the school, I went in and I said, you are doing nothing to protect my child. He had had two concussions from being hit by kids at school. Punched in the head. In and out of the hospital. Like I said, what more do you need to hear than my child's trying to jump out of the car while I'm driving? He's putting socks around his neck because he wants to die because they will not leave him alone and you are doing nothing. I said, he is going to hit somebody one day and I don't want a phone call about it. And it was right before we had decided that he he wanted to go back to school. Every year he tried. I want to go back to school, Mom. I want to go back to school. Okay, we'll let you try. We had our doctor, psychiatrist in there, psychologist, sorry, four times explaining. Like, we were open books. And they wanted him, the doctor to come in again at this time, around this time. And they said, why will we come in? They don't listen to anything we say anyways. So again, it's it's not it's a broken system. There's a lot of issues. Teachers and and principals and that are not counselors. We never expect that. But when a, a child is going something through something again, like you said, you can't let him get away with in, Nicholas get away with inappropriate behavior just because he's struggling. Teach him. And sometimes you have to teach by consequence. He might not like it. <laughs> But so, you know, and through this journey, he was in with the psychologist going regular appointments on medications, um, going through different types of therapies. And again, 
many, many emergency visits. So it, you know, I love that he focuses on that part, but there's so much like it's Mm -hmm. your life is just doctors and appointments and pain. Um, Don't get me wrong. We had good, good moments. And I mean, Nicholas comes, his dad and I are together. His dad's on the fire department. I had, uh, I was running a, a career college at that time you know, he played sports. He, you know, you come to our house and you think this is ridiculous what this child has for toys, games, etc. So none of that matters. <coughs> Excuse me, with mental illness. Yeah. Um, and by having all that, we couldn't take away what other kids were doing to him and the pain. And it just, like I said, kept bringing up this stuff from his past. Yeah, I, I guess the 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 point of the, the question is that when when I see the teacher responding in that way by not getting you in trouble, to me it's one of two things. Either the teacher believes that that is how boys or anybody should solve their problems by hitting each other, which is bad, or even worse, that he's been told not to step in with the mental abuse by the school, that he can't step in, and that is the teacher's way of solving the problem without being able to do it himself. And mm-hmm. both of those are terrible terrible options it's a failure of the system either way yeah it's i think with this teacher for sure it's an absolute failure of the system because this teacher was amazing he was that's the reason nicholas went back in to the school in grade seven because i had had seen this teacher outside of the school and he said um i'd love to have nick in my class and nick was waiting to get to that age where he would have this teacher so this teacher knew this boy's history not just with Nick again, this was a, a constant thing with a lot of students. So, you know, he, he absolutely, um, not in this this instance per se, but he would say, you know, sometimes they have to work things out themselves. I don't think he ever condoned physical violence. Um, it's just, again, if, if the top of the school, the head of the school, the principal, and then even above them, if they do not support every child as much as they can and not make excuses for anybody, how can a teacher do that? Mm-hmm. And I think he was really stuck. So I just want to make that clear just in mm-hmm. case he listens. Uh, he was amazing. And, and, you know, we all learn, right? It wasn't the right decision. He got punished at home. And our big thing is we understand where it came from, but it's still not acceptable. Mm-hmm. Also, like, so I've been in a new school. <laughs> I'm in a new school now. And... We don't have the boys' volleyball team, but me and my friends go and support the girls' volleyball team. So we um, actually went to my old school two weeks ago, and there was a kid who bugged me there, and he was just, like, being dumb. Like, he knew, like, I didn't like him, and he's like, what type of phone do you have? Oh, who's that? And I was sitting with my friend, and he's like... What school did you go to again? And it was just like, and like he knew, like I didn't like him. And then he was talking, like he's, I heard him saying, oh yeah, they're trash. We beat them last year. Oh yeah, they suck. Their school, whatever. And when they, we didn't, whatever. He's like, huh? And he laughed and that. And it's just like, it's like, kid, grow up. It's like, 
It was a different approach than you had before. It yeah, like. I was like... <laughs> Even though I, I get the impression I saw a blog and I get the understanding that maybe that was difficult to get through after the fact, but um, it sounds like you, you do have a bit of a different stance on it than you did. Yeah, like, definitely. Yeah, We said to Nicholas, too, this is a prime example of nothing happened to this kid. This kid was the reason we pulled him out in grade six a month and a half before the end of school because he was trying to he was harming himself so we said this is a classic example of you don't deal with the behavior or deal with these kids it goes on forever like and what a difference when you have parents uh teachers principal support i went in the next day just to tell the principal because i was dealing with it at his old school and stuff and he already knew they had messages from parents, parents putting complaints to this school about this kid's behavior. They said unwarranted. They didn't know anything about Nick's history. Nick has just let out now this last week to his friends at his new school anything about him. They knew nothing about it. And like even my friend's mom, she wanted me to drive me home because like it, it's like it's not even far away from my house to school. But she didn't want anything to happen. She's like, I would feel better if you just let me drive you. So, and and I think again, Nicholas has grown. Obviously, he's in a better place overall. But having that support—that's all they want—is just to say, hey, this is not cool, and somebody to advocate for them and stick up for him, like the 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 coach on their volleyball team from his school sent a message to the principal and said Nicholas did amazing. They said he just tried to ignore him. He kept his calm. He came and sat with us. He did nothing. That is an unbelievably huge step. When you go from his own story of I hit this kid mm-hmm, back mm-hmm. to it hurt me. He internalized it, though, Justin. You're right. I put in that blog like two nights later, everybody hates me. Nobody likes me because that's it brings up the trauma. Of course. Yeah, you've been, you've been, you felt like this your entire life. Maybe things are starting to get better. You have this incident and all of a sudden it's like – no, everything I thought before was right. Yeah. yeah. I think you could hear that. I can hear it, obviously, because I know his story. But even when he was telling his whole kind of journey there in the new school, it's the same theme, right? Um, I just want friends. I just want people to like me. He would be friends with kids that he would come home and go, oh, this friend said this, ha, ha, ha. And we're like, what? That's not how friends talk to people. I get teasing. We're a joking family. We're not prudes by any means. But you don't put other people down when they're their friends and like constant oh you are always going to be second choice because you're not as good at soccer as I am and like silly things like he played in soccer leagues and, and flag football leagues no you don't you suck like these are kids that are your friends that's not cool and that comes from their own internal dialogue their lives whatever but it's still not okay and I know you can't nitpick everything with children, but you got to teach them. That's not, you're not cool by being mean. And so I think he's really realized even now he's making some really good friends with some really good families and that, and we do have, you know, a couple of really good friends and families from his old school that we're still very, very close with. And, but there's a couple of kids he's already kind of got close or two and now he's kind of saying, oh, I don't know if this is the right choice. I like them. But I think I'm going to jump over here. So he's making much better decisions. But it's taken him five years. 
Yeah. So, what has been the difference um, in the kind of the turnaround that brought you that you know got you to a place where you know you can feel good about making friends and and that sort of thing? What's, what's I think also like it, <clears throat> sorry, accepting myself and this new school has really been amazing for me. Like there has been spots like I don't really like the teacher in that, but like. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like her, I should say. We can't have it all. I didn't, but like, that's your I didn't like my teachers. <laughs> that's your job at 13 not to like your teacher, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I think for us too, like, this Nick's journey stuff has helped him huge. Nikki is a natural caregiver himself. And when he can, I mean, he could tell you everything. He could pull out all of his... CBT, DBT, emotional regulation strategies and tell that kid next door exactly how, don't let it happen to you. Don't worry about it. Who cares what they say? But he could, couldn't apply it to himself. But I think as he sees how he's touched people, uh, so I'll, I'll tell you, two, two very important people that encouraged him to speak out in the first place, obviously one was Michael Landsberg, who's got nothing but our full heart, and... Uh, DeMar DeRozan, and he said to us, Mom, I didn't know that guys, like men, could have, like, depression and mental illness and be successful. So that really inspired him. And then following Justin's stuff, too, he's like, oh, my God, this guy's local. Look at this guy. He's got a cool job. And so it takes that to see, you know, we're too close to it, so anything we say kind of falls on deaf ears almost in a way which was frustrating for me because I want to change everything and make it okay. But I think giving him more independence. Um, last year he did online schooling uh, once we realized he couldn't, you know, it wasn't a good situation at the old school. His teacher, he had Mr. Ritter, was unbelievable in support. Academically, he's very intelligent. It, they worked more on self-advocacy and self-awareness and stuff. And that started to grow his confidence. It's continuing now. Um, <clears throat> sports, huge. He had an amazing coach in flag football for three years, Travis, who was unbelievable because people deserve credit when they they help you. We, we, like, to, we like to make sure anybody who's good gets exactly, a nice show. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I think it's – and then I think the biggest, biggest factor, honestly, is – Two months ago, we started with an amazing therapist. Uh, we were with the, the Ron Joyce Children's Program for four years and kind of exhausted all of the therapies that were available. So um, they said, definitely, we think it is the PTSD, and they just don't have, again, it's a specific kind of treatment. And uh, he was in that program. Like, they cared for us at that program. He still has a psychiatrist at the Max at Kids Program. Um, but anyways, they put us back in to go to the youth and adolescent services that are through the city of Hamilton. Now we had to wait again for another eight months or so until our psychiatrist said, uh, I think he put a little bit more of a push. And it's not their fault again. We know that, right? It's numbers. It's it's financial, et cetera. So he started with his therapist a couple months ago, and he's un unbelievable. And he does a lot of work with us together as a family. And... Um, he just, yeah, it's, it's, it's empowering him a little bit. Like we've given him more independence. We noticed probably when he was about 11, 
involving him more in decisions of his treatment in the school and how learning is going to look. We're not trying to make him like, you know, fit into a certain area that he can't do. And the biggest thing that we had was, unfortunately, we were told by a school psychologist who tried and tried that there's nothing else they could do for him. And we couldn't accept that. And we said, no, that's not right. Um, And that really opened, you have to work to what the person is. Right, it's the same in school. Mm-hmm. They have how does a child learn? What does he need? So once we got that aligned, I think that's helped too. Uh, that that helps me segue into what I wanted to talk about with you, Susie, and that's that. Uh, I mean, I'm not a parent, but when I see the thing types of things that you and how proactive you've been to to take control of the situation, I I'm hes I'm hesitant to think that every parent would do that. Lots of parents would kind of. Say, okay, well, that's how the system works, and we're just going to have to deal with that. But you've kind of really taken an extra step in that. And I'm just wondering what your motivation was in that. Uh, thank you for saying that, actually, Justin, because that really means a lot to me. I think, I think for me, my biggest motivation is uh, obviously Nicholas. And, um, but it's my personality, too. I'm, uh, I can be relentless. I can be stubborn. Um, I have a very strong belief in what I feel is right and wrong, and I think it's not anything out of the norm that I think everybody should have. (laughs) That might sound egotistical. I hope it doesn't. But (laughs) just treating people with respect and and treating them of who they are. So I just had that personality of um, compartmentalizing myself almost. So I had the emotional part of Nicholas, but... And I probably didn't handle it the right way all the time, but I had this other part of I can be as emotional as I can and care for him and my heart breaks, but that's not doing him any good. Uh, I learned a number of years ago the difference between empathy and sympathy and compassion. So I had empathy for him, but if I if I went into his pain, it didn't help him. Um, and like I said, I, I'll, I'll talk to anybody. I'll try to find what's best. And it is very, very, thank God I have my husband, Nick's dad. He's amazing support, which I'm very lucky. Um, And yeah, it just, I connect with people and I won't give up. And that's why me personally wanted to start Nick's journey was to share. What we went through and what works for us is not going to work for everybody. But we can say, hey, we know this. Hey, we know this. Hey, here's a call. Here's a number. I'll give a person a call. It's so hard. And in this day and age, as with parents and caregivers, a lot of them both work. Um, everything's so fast. Everything's about being better than somebody else. We honestly, like I felt, I think like I felt like my parents in the 50s or whatever. <laughs> I got, had to take a step back from it all and and say, like, I'm a natural caregiver. And if I have the ability to help anybody... Um, that's that's just what I'm supposed to do. It, it it's just as simple as that. I know it might seem like there should be some big elaborate <laughs> answer to no. that, but and I think that that's what makes it work. Is I'm just natural. I'm just who I am. We've taught Nick to be that way, and um, yeah. So that's what keeps us going too. And not just did you, you know take the initiative to support your son, but you've you know taken the initiative to start a a not-for-profit and to 
really take the next step to help other children in this position. Absolutely. I just, uh, I had mentioned to you earlier that I was selected this year by the Canadian Mental Health Association. Uh, they just had their annual conference two weeks ago in Montreal. I think I mentioned it earlier as well. And it was really exciting. It was their 100th year, so it was it was quite a big year. And I got selected to do a presentation in, uh, you know, getting early intervention in schools for mental health. And I thought that's that's pretty cool. Like I submitted this abstract and they, you know, they selected me, but I didn't realize the gravity of it, honestly, until I got there. And I met a number of people and they were beforehand, they're like, oh, you just hear what, what workshops? I said, oh, I'm presenting. What? Oh my gosh, you're presenting. This is huge. And they had thousands of people that applied. So as I did it, I, I hooked up with, uh, I was paired up in a larger, <clears throat> like a longer presentation with people from the, from Manitoba, who have a great program in the schools that they're they're doing there, and I did like a twenty minute presentation just about Nick's story. We played the the interview with Michael Landsberg, and people were crying, they were smiling, they were clapping, they were shaking their heads. A lot of educators like, yes, this is what we want to be to know this. And then I had uh, people come up to me afterwards and. And I had one lady, and she works in mental health, but she was crying, and she said, you've just told my grandson's story. And my daughter's alone. Like, she thinks she doesn't know where to go. She doesn't know who to talk to, and people just don't get it. We lost a lot of friends that we thought were real friends because, oh, it's just drama. Oh, it's, you know, he needs a kick in the butt. Oh, he's just doing it for <coughs> attention. Yeah, he's doing it for attention because he's hurting. He needs the attention of getting better. And then I had a... a a lady come up to me, and I'm going to get emotional probably, sorry. Um, and she gave me a big hug, and she said, thank you for doing this. Your son's just amazing for sharing his story. And she lost her son in May, and he was 11. And he died by suicide, and he was bullied. Um, and we spoke for probably, you know, 20 minutes or so, and we've hooked up uh, social media since. And I said to her, that this is what keeps me going. Our end goal is that no child will ever die by suicide again, especially because of lack of support and awareness and consequences for the people that bully these kids and mistreat these kids. And I am thankful that Nicholas is here today because we... If we didn't, if I didn't do this, he he honestly probably wouldn't be here today, and I couldn't let that happen. He's got too much going, and he does he deserves this life, and he's here for a reason, right? So, there, don't cry. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but that's why, you know, this lady, she really touched my heart, and and I said to her, I just wish we had the opportunity to meet your son before. He thought that wow. was his decision, but we are going to honor him, and and. Uh, He's a big driving force behind this right now, too. It's real 11. People don't – oh, kids kids don't take their lives. Well, yeah, they do. Yeah, like I said before with, with Nick, that's not learned behavior. Absolutely not. And, and her story uh, – I mean, you can sit in a room of, of people whose children um, – and I'm talking pre-adolescence especially – is have gone through – abuse and bullying and have like a mental illness, anxiety, PTSD, depression, 
uh, parents who have lost their children by suicide. And the stories are like, it's like you're writing, they're writing your biography. My, my, my child went through this in school. Nobody supported him. My child did this. And it's like verbatim almost. And you're like, what? Really? So it's not, and again, I'm not laying blame on a school or any one person. It is a big system breakdown. But it's not rocket science. Stop worrying about the political stuff of everything, for lack of a better saying. People are people. Treat your children how to treat people nicely. Take responsibility and accountability. We, with what we're doing with our grant, we want to very much focus on the children that are in the system, that go through foster care, that are from home to home, to be empowered within themselves that no matter where they go, they care and accept themselves because it doesn't matter what situation you're going to get in, that, that would help you. And that's what Nick said. If I had felt that way, for not for a lack of trying per se, but to have it more formalized, then it might have been very different for him when he was not treated well. It's interesting uh, how you say, you know, you need to teach people how to, you know, treat people well, but and that's what you thought you were getting in that first Catholic school. Mm-hmm. And this is where it all went wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like I, I didn't grow up Catholic. Um, I converted when I met my husband because I it was interesting. I took the catechism uh, classes, and I loved it because it was history <laughs> in my mind. And we had like people we had met through the church and stuff. And my husband grew up in the Catholic system. Not that it anything's perfect, but this school had a really good rating as well, and it was. Where we lived, that was part of why we moved into the neighborhood. And, um, you know, he, like I said, in kindergarten, he had some issues with the teacher, but it wasn't the end of the world. The principal was great. Um, it was just this specific person. And like we said before, it just pulled in the, the Catholic part, which, again, we've always been very clear. It's not that was that person's issue. Mm. But, yeah, it's... it's um, it's hard enough when you are a parent to send your child off for somebody else to take care of them, especially when they're four and five years old, for six, seven hours a day. You have to trust those people. But when you don't, but you still have to work and you still have to let your child grow, it, I'm telling you, it's the most devastating feeling in this world. And I have had so much guilt. Like Nick said earlier, I was blamed for stuff. He loved me, but he hated me at the same time. Um, people will know this a lot, especially with boys. Lots of times the depression and the mental illness comes out as aggression. And the behavior is just looked at as opposed to what's going on. So he would be aggressive with me sometimes, and that wasn't okay. But I had to take a step back from that, Justin, and say, this is not my child's normal behavior. I don't like it and I'm dealing with it and you're getting punished for it, but I have to look at the root cause of it. And that just doesn't happen enough. And uh, my biggest advice to any caregiver or any parent, if you think you are not doing your child justice, if they do not have consequences for their behavior, Nicholas was far from perfect. He's pretty good, but <laughs> he still is not perfect. Take accountability and help like guide your kids. Mm-hmm. And if you can't try to find somebody in their life, it doesn't have to be a parent, it doesn't have to be a blood relative, just somebody to help guide them. And that's, again, what we do is we're not doctors, we're not counselors. Um, but Nick's, you know, 
hooked up with people and just give them a little, hey, how you doing, da-da-da, and it helps. Just that little bit of self-esteem. It's amazing. Uh, kids want to be taught. They want to be guided. And they want to be good. I don't really think anybody is ever born to be bad. So it's, you know, we do have to step up as as adults and as a system. And, and it sounds so corny and cliche, and I did not realize this until I started doing all this. We're so much better together when we mm. support each other. Get rid of your own judgments. Who cares how other people live their lives? Let's all just teach people to be good people and individuals. Sorry, Sorry you tired of me talking? Yes, I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> and um, there's a 13-year-old for right? <laughs> um, I put a call out for uh, questions from people on Twitter and Michelle Sparling wanted to know what are a few of our favorite listener by the way she, oh, does, she gives us questions and yeah. nobody else gives us questions she's my mentor actually she's an Mine amazing too. woman yes we love Michelle she does a lot yes. what are a few of the courses or workshops that you've taken to date that you found helpful for us for me for you specifically but also Nick if, me yeah um I think any – for me, anything. Like we, we've taken – Nick and I started earlier with uh, Kids Have Stress too. the No Fear workshops, that through the, um, the community resources. And those were helpful for me to see, like I had mentioned before, the similarities within an illness and children and experiences. Um, him being an only child, I only have his experience to go by as a caregiver. But personally for me, the biggest thing, the most important workshop that we took, it was Mark and I, and it was EFFT, Emotional Family Focused Therapy. And why that was the most important was because it focused on us, not us as Nick's parents. Why do we feel the way we feel? What do we bring into it from our past, our baggage, our thoughts, the way we were raised? And... I realized that I took on a lot of his stuff and I thought I was helping him, but it was my own stuff. As close as we are, he's different than me. Everybody, you can have anxiety, you can have it. We can all have anxiety, but we're all still different, right? How it manifests, how mm-hmm. how it affects our lives. So that was a life-changing moment for myself as a caregiver. And I realized I had to be a little tougher sometimes and get over my own garbage, <laughs> lower my expectations of everybody has to think the way I think. And, you know, so since that, I just did an amazing course, um, Mental Health in the Classroom, online with the Institute of Child Psychology, who we have a meeting with this week because we're wanting to help facilitate these type of courses here. Uh, and that was awesome because I, you know, again, I'm learning about the brain and how it affects different kids and how as an educator you can help them and stuff like that. So what about you, Nick? What's your, been your best? Um, I, I found I don't, I didn't really like going to them because I felt because, because I'm a teenager, I guess, because I thought I had better things to do, but I am glad that I did go and I found it, Helpful and glad that I did go. I'm trying to follow. It's interesting him on he Twitter. said that. Be, who? Justin? Yes. <laughs> oh, I forgot his name again. Um, <laughs> I am sorry. 
It's interesting that Nick said that because when he was in all the programs he took, it was frustrating for us because we're like, pull out your strategies, pull out your book. But he was so much in a in a, a state of disarray and he couldn't. Now, and I've heard this from his teacher and the principal, is they're like, we can see all of the work that he's done. They said to us two weeks ago, he's the most self-aware child they have ever seen at that age. And he's so accountable. So now he's working on the remorse he has afterwards is thinking of that before he makes a decision. And again, that's just growth, right? Like that's human nature. So I I would say, yeah, definitely as many courses as you can get. And again, we're trying to bring that to communities because they're free in Hamilton, so many of them, but they're at a hospital. They're right after school. A lot of people can't get their kids there. So we want to be able to expand that out so children have that opportunity and we're getting together caregiver uh, parent workshops on bullying. They do it in schools for kids which is great but it starts the, the parents need to be more aware how it affects and what they can do to help their kids not bully or be bullied. Nick, I have one last question for you. Uh, just wanted to know why you wanted to speak out and and tell your story and make it Make it public. Put yourself out there. You know, be vulnerable. Why did you want to do that? I wanted to give um, awareness to kids who may have gone with, through what I went through or what I am going through. That um, what they may have gone through or they still are. Um, just that to feel like this is said a lot, but you are not alone. You should get help if you aren't, and there are a lot of successful people with that. Males, too, if you're a male, don't feel like you can't be sad and cry and that it's okay. And uh, I guess I guess that's all. I don't know. I wish I was all that self-aware when I was your age. Yeah, jeez. Thank you. Honestly. Uh Last thing, uh, what's what are the priorities for Nick's journey uh, going forward, and uh, how can people find you? You can find us at uh, we are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Um, you can go to nicksjourney.ca, and our future goals. <laughs> so right now, I'm just curious, like oh, how, how first how people can support you, and what what are you trying to do in the next little bit here? We just by supporting, like just bringing awareness, um, sharing our posts and that, and I guess you don't have to buy merch, but that always helps. <laughs> that always helps. But I just ask to share this stuff and bring awareness to it if you would like to. Right. Yep. So obviously from a a businessy type of standpoint, there is the financial uh, thing. So, you know, we sell things. We came out with buddy bracelets. So if you wear a buddy bracelet, people know you're a safe person to go to. That went really well. We've had T-shirts. We had the tackling mental illness. Um but there's bigger picture things that obviously we've been pretty much self-funded. We've got donations for events and stuff, but I've been funding us through it because it's important to do. And, you know, but 
if there are businesses or people or whatever, just promote us more. Um, we have lots of information on our website, but I have obviously a lot more information if they ever wanted to contact me. Uh, you can go through the website, but my email too is Susie, S-U-Z-I at nextjourney.ca. Um, right now, our main focus is, like Nick said, we have our 2018 <coughs> oh. season of giving. Uh, we've already got an uh, amazing toy donation and book donations, so you can go on our website. If you can't donate a toy or a book or some personal items, we've put up their donations, even $5. We're hooked up with a lot of uh, community um, people and organizations. One really important one I do have to do a shout-out to, Jessica Compton and Tree of Stars. She's unbelievable in what she does. She does a lot with homeless addiction, mental health. So she's got definitely some families in that that need are in need and would be appreciative. We're always respectful to people in need, and it's not something we're going to say, hey, this person's in need. We get that. But we're all inclusive. Like, we'll... It's about acceptance. So that's one thing we're working on in the immediate. Um, and this grant proposal, I think I had mentioned earlier, uh, it was rolled out at the the conference, and we have an opportunity. So right now we're working with who you would notice on our, our social media a lot is Andrew Bray from Energy Awaken, and he does has done a lot of work with Nicholas with me- mindfulness, meditation, more of the natural stuff. Along, you know, he is on medications and therapies, but it takes a, whatever works for you. So he's created a really amazing program with a partner of his um, about loving yourself and the self awareness. So we're working with him right now to try to marry that curriculum program. Um, I would love to tell you the whole thing about it, but it's going in a grant proposal. And then we thought the other day, even if we don't get the grant, because it's our first time ever doing it. We're still going to move forward with it. I meet with the schools this week. We have a meeting with the McMaster uh, Foundation this week because we want to support them more. And uh, any funding or fundraising or awareness is going to go right to the mental health program. Um, I want to get in to, you know, meet with the child uh, uh, services for the kids that are in foster care and that to be able to support them. So it's it's you know, about giving back experiences, like I said before, tickets to events, there is money. So, but again, if you go on our website, I try to keep it up to date. I probably put much more on Facebook (laughs) (laughs) and uh, which I told, was told the other day by Nicholas is not cool anymore, but it's about Instagram and Twitter and all that now. It's not Twitter, it's Instagram and Snapchat. Okay. So, (laughs) but yeah, if you go to our website, like Nick said, nicksjourney.ca. There's the links to our social media accounts. I There's too many names with dots and dashes <laughs> and everything else. I don't want to give it the wrong one. Dash so dash. that's where we're looking. And then uh, we're working, like Nick said, on a really – we're trying to make uh, our tackling mental illness event next year big. So I'm actually communicating with uh, about Tim Hortons Field right now. Mm. So uh, we have – like I said, some local unions that have already come on board and they're very interested in supporting us going forward with things. And that's a super fun event. I know you weren't able to make it, Justin, uh, but we had two of the Thai cats, Larry Dean and Liram. I can't not say Okay. I can never say his name right. And I don't want to be disrespectful. They came out. They were phenomenal, like unbelievable. They played with the kids. The kids left. We tripled our, our goal. 
we have very realistic goals, and we've been able to sponsor people for anxiety workshops and teachers, uh, give a donation to parents of children mental health. Again, I, I have to do these shout-outs. I hope it can make it. That is an amazing support group with amazing people. That's where I met Michelle. And, uh, yeah, so we want to continue to give to other charities, give to families, but we need to make big changes, and I really think we will. Nick's wanting to speak out more, hence we're here. And we're going to start a YouTube channel and that. And, we are. Yeah. And we're going to get Nick to interview Michael Landsberg, if you're listening, wow. Michael. <laughs> so that's it. That's great. Um, additionally, if there's anything else we can do to, to yeah, absolutely. push forward your you. initiatives, whether it's uh, you want to come on again or uh, or you know, give me something to read, um, whatever works for you. Doors uh, always open. Yeah. Thank you very help. much. And you guys are amazing. I mean, I just met you, Luke. Thank <laughs> you. This has been amazing. Justin, In you know, what you do is absolutely so important and – um, we're very grateful and that's the whole thing is you don't know. I've read things from you. We've chatted even just, Hey, how you doing? And I'm in tears in my heart, like happiness of my heart and stuff like that. So thank you for doing what you do and, and giving us this opportunity. Like, you know, uh, Hey, a $10,000 check would be wonderful to help us with our initiatives, but this is so much more important to us to get the word out. And hopefully there's another little kid or a family that says, oh, my God, we're going through that, too. We can do this. That's that's my whole point of doing this is just ho- hope that someone relates to it. And, yeah, it's amazing. It helps them. You're very, yeah. It, it, here I go. Should I interview you now? <laughs> um, you're very inspiring and sharing your own journey for sure is so important to everybody as well. Um, and, again, I can just thank you guys for doing this stuff. It's so important. And we are all on board with everything you do, too, and sharing and everything else. The more we do it, the better it's going to be. Thank you for that. Anything else that we can – you want to talk about before we wrap? Um, Thai cats better win the Grey Cup. <laughs> <laughs> like, no pressure, but you better. But I'm just kidding. Um, Wild also have to win. <laughs> <laughs> Same with the Texans. <laughs> Kyle better win the championship, okay. but like Kyle was like, well. it's good. No, I like that. I like that. Make sure you like put your sports teams on the spot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did you watch the interview with him and Michael Lansford? I didn't get a chance. Oh, yeah, to. I did. And at yeah. the end, when Michael's trying to get him to say that the Leafs are better or something, and Nick's one. Nick caught on. Nick's too too intelligent. And yeah. Michael's like, oh my goodness, but yeah, we're going to the game next weekend for the Tiger Cats. So. You know they're super important to us. They're a really good group of that yeah. corporation is yeah, a really when, good group uh, of people. When you put out there that they that we were on board, like I didn't know about it because I'm not on that part of the business. But you know, I was really excited and, and proud of the business that we were willing to jump right onto that. Absolutely, like I was in shock. Honestly, um, I actually one of my best friends works with them in a. Uh, is her massage therapist and I could have gone through her to try because she's an amazing person and has good relationships excuse me but I didn't want to do that like I'd rather you know people enjoy what we do as opposed to say hey can you do me a favor so again that was that was huge when they asked Mm -hmm. us if we wanted to be the part of the donation program I was just like I thought I just won the lottery it's those little things that oh my god when we give a family and a kid a ticket 
you would see our pictures through social media, like this one little boy, and it was the day that they retired that jersey. Um, jersey. Was it the Labor Day? They retired a player's jersey this year. I can't remember. Oh, they put Joe Monford on the wall. Yeah. Yeah. So this little boy, who's a good friend of ours, this is his player now. Even though he doesn't play anymore, (laughs) he wants his jersey. He wants to meet him. You would have, like, thought you gave this kid the world and just by giving him a couple tickets to go to that with his dad for his first time. Yeah, that's pretty cool, and that you're that that we were so eager to be a part of it. I think that should be validation for you that you're doing something good. Thank you. And it's huge that the players show up to these things. I know, I know, okay. in some cases they're you know they have to do it or it's a it's a part of their thing. But to show up and be enthusiastic, like for kids to get to see, well, for the guys to show up to anything, there has to be some buy-in. Yeah, and and to see the you know the kids get to see a superhero show up and a kicker. Oh. Uh, <laughs> wow! Uh, Apologies to Lyra. <laughs> yeah. Oh, come on! I'm sure he's heard every kicker joke. Um, but for for them to see their heroes show up and and just be regular people is oh yeah is amazing. Absolutely. Like I said, they were fantastic. They at one point took my one friend's uh, son. He is probably nine ish, ten. I forget his age. I apologize. He was very shy to go up, and he was like, oh, I didn't get asked to go up. And I said, come on, go play the game with them. Like, they were originally, I think, in a coach, or they were right in there playing. They had a blast with the kids. And I said, come on, come with me. And then Larry Dean was behind me, and he took the little boy's hand, and he said, come on, and he took him out on the field. And everybody was messaging me and calling me, saying, that moment was the most phenomenal moment of the day. That is what it's all about. And we're very much about, that's great that you're, you know, successful in your profession, sports, etc. But we're about the people and how they get there and what they go through. And Larry is very, as everybody knows uh, here, um, being the the spokesperson for the TELUS Mm anti-bullying and uh, with his foundation that he has in his hometown and stuff. Um, We want to continue to, you know, try to build something with that. And he was... They were honored to be with us. And here's our number and tell us when you're coming. And it was just like we, or I say we, but Nick, Nick was the famous guy that day. Nick was the hero and they were just honored to be there. And that's just amazing because they're busy, right? Yeah. We won mm. the football game. <laughs> <laughs> and the, kid, the kids still talk about it. They couldn't wait to go to school and tell, oh my God, I played. And one of our best friends' son is the Larry Dean freak of the universe. And he's still, still, like, I go over and he's like, I can't believe I got to play with Larry Dean. That's amazing. That's amazing. Got so, touchdowns by Larry so, yeah, Dean. they were so good. They were amazing. <laughs> and, and we're very thankful. So, yeah, like Sam, everybody, Travis, it's an amazing corporation. And they just really do give back and they really care, and especially about kids and stuff. And we knew that before, but now we're seeing it more for Sam. And this is just our first year with you know working with them a bit so mm-hmm. we want to continue to do that people need to see that side yeah. of um athletes they're people mm-hmm. anything else luke no that's uh i think we've covered uh, pretty much everything okay just as we wrap uh you know like share subscribe to this podcast follow me on twitter j-d-i-c-k-i-e follow luke at t-h-e-l-v-e-r-m-e-e-r-v-l-v-e-r-v-e-r-v-e-r-v-e-r-v-e-r-v-e-r-v-e-r-v-e-r-v-e-r-v-e-r-v-e-r-v-e-r-v-
And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll talk to you soon.